But we have been in this series for two weeks. This is now the third week called We Don't Talk About That. And the effort of the series is this. We want to talk about things that aren't normally discussed in the church, in Christian circles, because here's what we found, that when we do not talk about them, in the silence, chaos happens. In silence, chaos happens. Specifically in the church, what I think happens is when people deal with these issues, they think, well, if the followers of God don't talk about it, then what must God think about me if I deal with that? And so we dealt with issues of sexuality. We looked at Luke chapter seven, this woman who the text just describes as a woman of the city. The text describes as a, as a sinner. So we don't know specifically what she did, but whatever she did, it was great. It was known. Everybody in the community knew about it. And Jesus welcomes her, extends grace and transforms her life in, in, by extending forgiveness to her. And so for us that, that carry sexual baggage, we can bring that to Jesus, not hiding in the dark, and he brings restoration to those things. Second, we talked about those who deal with mental illness, and we looked at Mark chapter 5, and Jesus engages this man that lives among the tombs, one that was isolated and cast off and avoided. Jesus engages him, and in fact brings restoration, because he's the only one that can bring that restoration. And so tonight, the topic that we're going to talk about is likely, in my opinion, the heaviest topic that we will have uh, the rest of the series, or for the whole series for that matter. And uh, it's not my intention for it to feel heavy. It's not my intention for tonight to, to like, for you to feel like, my gosh. Uh, it's just the nature of the subject matter. And so tonight we're going to talk about abuse. Uh, so here's the deal. This is closer to you than you think. You either deal with it, or you know someone who does. It's closer to you than you think. This is probably the issue that people deal with that they hide the most because of the shame that they carry, the guilt that they carry, the fear that they carry. And so as followers of Christ, if maybe we don't deal with it, but you you probably know somebody who does, they just hide it really well. You need to be informed how to respond to that person because the right response is not backing away and saying, man, that sucks. And if you're in here and you deal with it, What I hope that this would be is not me making you feel more guilty, making you more afraid. What I hope that this would be is a time where I can pull your eyes up to the God who brings relief and the God who defends and the God who restores and the God who heals. That's my effort. And so the subject matter is serious. And so I need you to to lean in with me. I don't need you to check out. I want you to go with me here. And generally we have a central text that we look at, but the reality is this. You will not look at the word abuse in the, like the concordance in the back of your Bible. You won't find a passage. You won't find a parable that Jesus tells. Now, certainly people are abused in the Bible. You could probably talk about Joseph, like he had to go through some crummy stuff. But we're going to be all over the map. And so uh, if I could just divide us back up, you don't have to move. But if you could think about us in the groups that I put you in earlier, and I'll give you four text to turn to. So if you're in group one, go ahead and go to uh, Psalm three, Psalm chapter three. If you're in group two, go to Psalm seven. If you're in group three, go to Psalm 46. If you're in group four, go to Psalm 147. Psalm three, Psalm seven, Psalm 46, Psalm 147. That way you can be where we're going to be. But like I said, this is a, this is an issue that's closer to you than you think. It's closer to you than you think. Here's how close it is. One, listen to me, look up, look up here and listen to me. One in nine, 
one in nine girls, one in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18, that's you. One in nine girls, one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse or assault at the hands of an adult. Nearly 1.5 million, 1.5 million high school students nationwide experience physical abuse from a dating partner in a single year. One in three adolescents, that's you, in the U.S., one in three adolescents in the U.S. is a victim of a physical, sexual, emotional, or verbal abuse from a dating partner, a figure that far exceeds rates of other types of youth violence. And finally, one in five teens admits to being emotionally abused in the past year. So if we're just going by the numbers, the numbers fit the room. The reality is, you either face this or you know someone who does. So this is closer to you than you think. This has more to do with where you live than you think. So we ought to, as Christ followers, know how to respond. And for that matter, know how God responds. So let me start by defining abuse. This is how the dictionary would define it. It says this, the improper use of something. Abuse is the improper use of something. So there was something that was designed to use a certain way and abusing it would be using it in an improper way. That's a fair way to describe it. It's simple, I get it. But an improper use of something, that would be to abuse something. Maybe for our, for our time together, I wanna to define it like this, that abuse is this. It is a perversion of something that God designed to be good. Abuse is the perversion of something that God designed to be good. That definition is important for our understanding of abuse. Because here's the deal. My effort tonight is not for all of you to leave here and think, I'm being abused. That's not the effort. That would be not helpful. Like, Mom, I went to midweek and Kate told me I'm being abused. Like, nope, nope. Not what I did. However, if you do face abuse, here's what I want you to understand. And if you know someone who has faced abuse or is facing abuse, look at me and understand this. What they are facing is a perversion, is an evil. It is not okay. It will never be. It's a perversion of something. So there are categories for abuse, and you probably know them. The first one is this, physical abuse. This is probably the one that's thought of the most. When we think about abuse, generally we think about physical abuse. Well, if you're thinking in your brains, how can we say that that's a perversion of something that God designed to be good? Because here's, here's, my, here's my assumption. Often, times of physical abuse happen as a means of discipline that's gone out of hand. So discipline is a good thing. It's from God. In fact, God is someone who disciplines us. He says that in Hebrews that when he disciplines us, he's disciplining us as sons. Discipline is a good thing. Perverting discipline and using physical abuse to discipline is not okay. It's a perversion of something that God created to be good. Or maybe it's not discipline. Maybe it's, maybe it's a means of expressing power or expressing authority. Authority is something that's from God. Romans chapter 13 says that God has placed authorities over us. They're a good thing from God. When you use that authority or exercise the authority by means of physical abuse, that's a perversion of something that God has created. So physical abuse is a perversion. 
It's not okay. The second category, sexual abuse. Sexual abuse. This is probably just as common as far as our understanding of it, at least the way we think about it. This is probably pretty obvious. Sexual abuse is a perversion of something, namely sex. Sex is from God. God created it as a good thing to be exercised in boundaries that he created. That is, within a covenant marriage between one man and one woman for life. That's where God meant for that to happen, period, end of it. So anything sexual that happens outside of the covenant one man, one woman relationship marriage is a perversion of what God created to be good, including sexual abuse. Third, emotional abuse. This is not one we think about all the time. But in my opinion, this is the one that teenagers deal with the most and they don't even know it. You face emotional abuse more than you think or are willing to admit. Emotions are a good thing. God created emotions. However, when emotions are manipulated for a person to gain something from you, or when you manipulate emotions in order to gain something from someone, that's abusing what God created. You're perverting what God created to be good. Emotional manipulation and emotional abuse ride a razor-thin line. And emotional abuse is a real thing, one that you face probably more than you know. And lastly, verbal abuse. Words are from God, right? God desires us to communicate. With words, we can bless one another. James calls the tongue a powerful thing. It's like the bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, but it's also something that can set a forest ablaze because with it, we bless and with it, we curse. So verbal abuse would look like just constantly beating someone down, constantly belittling someone. This is more than just being sarcastic. This is verbally just... a obliterating somebody over and over and over again and using words to mentally defeat someone. That's verbal abuse. It's verbal abuse. So we've got categories, right? And with those categories, what happens is our understanding of who deals with abuse broadens big time. And again, my effort is not for you to leave here and go, I'm being abused. That's not my effort. However, If you are, I want you to deal with it honestly. If you are, I want you to call it what it is. I want you to call it abuse. I want you to call it evil. I want you to call it sin. I don't want you to call it okay. I don't want you to call it normal. Because it's not. It's not. So like the other sermons with this series, we'll ask this question. What are ways that we can respond to this poorly? But really, I want to say like this. What are ways that we can respond to this incorrectly? With the other ones, I viewed that question like this. What are ways that we, those who don't deal with that thing, can respond to those people poorly? What are ways that we can deal with people who have sexual baggage poorly? What are ways that we can deal with people who have mental illness poorly? But that's not what I'm after here. What I want to do is those who are affected by or face or have faced abuse of some kind, what are ways that you all 
can respond incorrectly in the face of the abuse that you have faced or dealt with or are dealing with. And hear me again. Hear my words. I am not trying to beat you down. I am not trying to defeat you. I am not trying to make you feel small. I'm not trying to make you feel like you messed up because of how you responded. I am not trying to justify what happened to you. None of it's okay. All of it's evil. It's wicked. It's sin. It is awful. And if I was in your spot, I probably would have reacted the same way. So hear me say that. But I also would have longed for someone outside of my scenario to come and just lift my eyes up for a little bit and give me a different perspective. That's what I'm after. Not condemning you, pulling your eyes up. That's what I want. I want to pull your eyes up. So, that being said, those who face abuse can often, when they face abuse, think about God incorrectly. They can think about God incorrectly. They say things, think things like this. If God's a father and someone who's a father figure is my abuser, then I bet God is a lot like my abuser. But it's simply not true. God is a father. That's the right thing. We see that in the scriptures. God is a father. But here's what kind of father God is. God's a perfect one. God is not your earthly father or your earthly father figure improved. He's your earthly father figure perfected. He's perfect. So, if the avenue of abuse comes through a father figure in your life, God's nothing like that. He's nothing like that. He's perfect. He's perfect. And maybe when you face abuse, you might think this incorrectly about God. Well, if I'm facing this, then God just must not care. God must not care. Because if he cared, if he cared, he wouldn't, he wouldn't let this happen. Hey, I don't, I don't know why God is letting you face what you're facing or why God has let you face what you have faced. I have no clue. However, here's what I do know about God. Psalm 34, 18. Listen to these words, Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God cares a ton. God is near to you. He's not far off. He's not looking at that going, man, that really stinks for you. He's near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that is with you in the craziness of your life. He's near. He cares. He cares. So we can think about God incorrectly, but also those who have faced abuse can often think about themselves incorrectly. They can think about themselves incorrectly. They might say things or think things like this. Well, this abuse is really just my fault. Something's wrong with me. If I was just, if I just did, if I was more about, then that wouldn't have happened. 
my perception is that abuse victims can quickly, quickly turn to blame themselves for the reason that the abuse is happening. If I was just better, this wouldn't happen. It's not necessarily physical, not necessarily sexual, but any form of abuse, you can quickly turn to say, something must be wrong with me. I must be at fault here. Look at me. If you know somebody who's been abused, or if you have faced it or are facing it, it's not your fault. It will never be your fault. You don't own their evil. You will never have to own their evil. It is their sin. It is their wickedness that God will handle. God will handle it. It's not your fault. The second thing you can think is this. You think incorrectly about yourself. Well, if I faced abuse, then I just must be damaged goods. I must be damaged goods. I maybe, maybe I'm just not redeemable because of what I faced. Think about this for a second. The woman in Luke chapter seven that we talked about the first week, homegirl had baggage. She rolls into that meal and everyone in the room is like, I cannot believe she's here. Oh my goodness. Like it's a big deal. But she comes to Jesus and he gives her forgiveness. He says, this woman whose sins are many are forgiven. Imagine if she just would have resolved, I'm just damaged goods. I'm everything they say that I am. I'm all the whispers when I walk down the street. I'm all the rumors that they tell. But she didn't. She blew past that and came to Jesus. And he restored her. That's exactly what he does with you. You're not damaged goods. You're not beyond redemption. Jesus is the redeemer. He does not need you to clean yourself up. He doesn't need you to be perfect. He needs you to come to him, baggage, brokenness, and all, and let him do what only he does and restore. The last thing that can happen to those who face abuse that we can think incorrectly is you live driven by fear. You live driven by fear. If you face some kind of abuse in the context of a relationship, you know what you'll do? In every other relationship, you'll, you'll quickly shove people out. Because if you get close to me, the last person that was this close to me hurt me. Physically, sexually, emotionally, verbally. So I will leave everybody this far away and I'll never let you get past it. And you live driven by fear. God created you for more than that. God wants more for you than that. Listen to me. What those people, that person has done to you or to your friend is awful. But to not let anybody else inside that space will exhaust you. It will wear you out. And you'll feel lonely. You'll long for relationships, but you'll keep shoving folks out. You'll keep shoving them out. Because it's all you know. You won't, live, you won't live free. You'll live driven by fear. Fear of what somebody might do to you that gets as close to you as your abuser did. God desires more for you than that. And hear me, hear me. God can free you from that. 
God desires to free you from that. That doesn't mean that you have to let your abuser in. Ever. You ought to have healthy boundaries with those kinds of people. And if that boundary is to never be around them again, then make that the boundary. And if the boundary is, we are just cordial with one another and I can speak to you, that's as far as it goes. Then let that be as far as it goes. To, to, uh, to be free from that through Christ is not to let your abuser back in. It's to see it for what it is. Call evil, evil. Call sin, sin. But it's in that relationship, not every relationship. God wants more for you than to live in fear. So then how does God respond? This is what we need to know. How does God respond to those who have faced abuse? I think the best way for us to think about this is just to think about who God is. The character of God gives us the best picture of how God responds to those who have faced abuse. So I threw out some of those scriptures early on. But the first way that God responds to those who have been abused is this, that God is a defender, God is a protector. Psalm chapter, or Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying to my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. What do you use a shield for? To defend yourself, to hold up and push the enemy back. And the psalmist says, God, you are my shield. So to those of you who have faced abuse, are facing abuse or know someone who is facing abuse, God is your, God is their defender. He's there, he's your protector, and he's the best at it. He's the best at it. Second thing, God is a refuge. God is a refuge. Psalm chapter 7, 1 through 2. Oh Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. That's a safe place. It's a, a place that you flee to when it's chaotic. It's a place you flee flee to from harm. In you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it into pieces with none to deliver. The psalmist says, it is crazy, God. People are pursuing me. And I run to you for refuge. You're my safe place, God. You're where I hide. Because you're the most trustworthy. So to those of you, who face abuse or know someone who has, God is their refuge. He's their safe place. He's the place they can run to, to hide and find safety. God is the refuge. You see that again in verse, or in chapter 46, verse one through three. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Here's what's crazy to me about Psalm 46. Here's what's nuts. The psalmist says this, you, God, are our refuge. You, God, are our strength, our very present help in times of trouble. Not when it's calm, when it's extremely chaotic. The next few verses are, it's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy, and God, you're where I run. And it's still crazy out here. But you're where I run. 
So those of you who have faced abuse or know someone who has, it might be crazy in some relationship that you're in. Home, dating, I don't know where it happens. God is your, God is their refuge. He's their safe place in the midst of the chaos. In the midst of the chaos. The last thing is this. God is the healer. God is the healer. Psalm 147, one through three. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God is the one who puts you back together. So if you are in here and you have faced abuse, are facing abuse, know someone who has, the only one that brings the healing that you are looking for or that they are looking for is God. The only one who will. The only one who will bring healing to someone who has faced physical abuse, to bring healing to someone who has faced sexual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. No human will establish the kind of healing that they need Only God can do that. Those wounds are soul wounds. You need someone who can care for the soul. Only God does that. He's the healer. And hear me. He can and wants to heal you. So don't leave here thinking, I know that God is the healer for you all. God is not a healer for me. That is the biggest lie you would believe. God can and desires to heal you. Embrace him. Embrace him. So the last thing is this. How should you respond? How should you respond? If you know someone who has been abused, here's how you you should respond. You should encourage them to tell someone who can help them. If it's physical abuse, you ought to report it to CPS. You're like legally bound to do so. So tell someone who can help. That might not be CPS. It might be a parent. It might be a teacher. It might be, I don't know, but you ought to encourage them to tell someone. And if they won't, you need to. Tell somebody. And the last thing that you should do if you know somebody who's facing abuse is you should point them to the God who is a defender, a refuge, and a healer. Point them to God. He's the best helper. What about if you are the one that's a victim of abuse? How should you respond? You should tell someone who can help. I have not faced abuse before. So some of this is speculation for me, I know. But I know through any hurt that I've faced in my life, that keeping it in the dark is never the best move. Because in the dark, you begin to believe a bunch of lies about what you faced. And it festers and it grows. And the wound doesn't shrink because you forget about it. The wound grows deeper and deeper and deeper. And it hurts more and more day by day as you won't drag it into the light. So tell someone. Tell someone. Rick Warren says it like this. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. I didn't write that. I couldn't do that. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Tell somebody. 
Tell somebody who can help. If you're a victim of abuse, here's what you need to do. If it's possible, you need to get out of that relationship. If it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend who emotionally manipulates you, look, you're not going to marry them. They're garbage. Break up with them. Just like, here, here's my, you just call, like you can get up during the response song and go and dump them on the phone or you can text them. I don't care. You need to get out of that. You need to get out of that now. So if the relationship is able to be ended, end it. If it's a parent or a guardian situation, you have to take, you have to take some kind of legal step so that people can get you out of the situation if they need to. Now, the last thing is this. If you are a victim of abuse, you need to embrace the God who is a defender, who is a protector, who is a refuge, who is a healer. Embrace him. Don't run from him. Don't think he's cast you off. Hold on to him. He's the only one that provides the help that you're looking for. He's the only one who provides the healing you're looking for.